So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them, and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a shining light in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretations of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Good morning, everybody. Hey, welcome to church. Great to have you this morning. If we've never met before, my name is Tim and I'm one of the pastors here and we're beginning a brand new teaching series this morning called Words to Live By. This is a series about the Bible. The most read, most sought after, most debated, most celebrated, the best-selling book of all time. If the Bible were listed on the monthly bestseller list. It would be a rare month indeed when any other book in the world even got a look in. The Bible is the most frequently banned, one of the most frequently banned books of all time, one of the most feared books of all time, one of the most controversial books of all time, one of the most confusing books of all time, one of the most interesting books of all time. There is no other book in the history of the world that has inspired more songs, more social movements, or more people than the Bible. So whether you love it this morning or hate it or are indifferent to it and you don't know how you got in here this morning, the Bible is the most consequential book in the history of the world and its influence today is growing globally, not shrinking. So why a whole series on the Bible? Here's a little anecdote from Kevin DeYoung's book, Taking God at His Word. He tells the story of an anonymous Christian publication, of, of an anonymous article in a major Christian publication called My Conversation with God. In the article, a Christian professor tells the story of hearing God's voice. 
He writes about how he had this amazing supernatural experience where God spoke to him and gave him the outline for a book and the title of a book and told him to use the money from the sales of the book to put this kid through college that he knew. And he finishes the article by talking about how his faith had been so strengthened to have God speak personally to him. Kevin DeYoung comments, it's a fine story in many ways except that it gives the impression that God doesn't normally speak to us personally. The article leaves us feeling as though God speaking to us through scripture is an inferior, less exciting, less edifying means of communication. We can't help but conclude, yes, the Bible is important, but what a treasure it would be if I could experience God really speaking to me. If I could only hear from that sure and infallible voice of God. He goes on, it sounds amazing. Can you imagine God speaking to you personally, certainly, authoritatively? Well, the good news, which this article seems to have missed, is that every single one of us can hear from God today, right now, at this very moment. God still speaks, and he has a word for us that is sure, steady, and unerring. Close quote. And that's the case that we want to make in this series together. That God still speaks. And that if there is in your heart a desire to hear his voice and to know what God thinks and to hear his thoughts, then he still speaks to us personally, surely, and authoritatively. And he speaks in such a way that we can understand. And furthermore, that our confidence in the Bible has everything to do with the Lord Jesus. Whatever we believe about the Lord Jesus, ultimately we will believe about the Bible. Uh, God has chosen to identify himself, the Lord Jesus has chosen to identify himself with, the, with his written words in such a way that whatever we do with his written word, we do with him. That's part of the case we want to make this morning. Now, why have a Bible at all? I, I just, I love the scripture reading that we just did, so I'm just going to call an audible and I want to read, reread part of Isaiah 55 that was part of our worship set right now. Here's what we just heard from Nevada. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, and make it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Everything that God does, he does by talking. Have you ever noticed that? He speaks and a hundred billion galaxies appear. How is it that the Christian can have assurance that his sin is forgiven? Because God has spoken and a hundred billion failures disappear. We just sang about it. 
Hebrews chapter 1 says at this moment, Jesus is holding the universe together by what? By the power of his word. He continues to speak and here you are. Why do we have a Bible at all? Because God, if you read Isaiah 55, which we just read together, he's looking for you. He's seeking you. He wants you to return. But his thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are not your ways. So if we're going to know what God wants, he has to talk. There's no one like God. You can't compare God to anything. If we're going to know him, he has to speak. Now, there are some things that we definitely can know about God without him speaking. And I hear this from guys in particular all the time. My church is when I'm out alone in my deer stand, just me and God and nature. You know what I'm talking about? That's church for me. Well, we can affirm that to a degree. Even if God didn't speak, anyone with a microscope or a telescope or a pair of eyes can see that something made all of this. And whatever that something is, he is incredibly uh, wise, powerful, and immeasurably awesome. Okay? You can get there sitting alone in your deer stand. Okay? But if you're going to know any more, he has got to talk and a lot of people talk about the Bible, you'll hear this, people talk about the Bible as a product of man's search for God. You know, he's reaching out into the nothingness and just trying to touch the unseen God and the Bible is what you get. There is no way, no one sitting in a deer stand by himself writes anything like the Bible, okay? That just could never happen. The Bible is God reaching for us so that we would know him and walk with him. Jesus says in John chapter 17, this is eternal life, that they should know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. And so God has spoken and done it in such a way that a six-year-old can understand its basic message, and yet scholars will spend a lifetime plumbing its depths the way Jesus says it is. They will bring up tre new treasures again and again and again. Now, there are a lot of spiritualities out there that tell us if you want to hear the voice of God, the place to find it is within. That's not a new idea. That, that idea is actually older than Christianity, and there's more than a grain of truth in that. That if you want to hear the sure, steady voice of God, the place to look is within. Christianity is a religion of body and the spirit. It is a religion of the, the inner person and the external world. Christianity is a place where deep calls to deep. Jesus said, I will be in you and you will be in me. Unfortunately, if that is all that your spirituality is, uh, we're going to become a little neurotic and a little narcissistic, okay? And the other problem is that we will inevitably just begin to look like wherever we live, okay? We will begin to believe whatever the cultural wind happens to be blowing at the time. But most of all, if, if spirituality is something that just happens within you, 
Relationships simply cannot work that way. There have to be words. Real, objective, fixed, true words. Okay, imagine if my wife came to me one day to talk. And I said, oh, don't, 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 don't speak, don't speak. <laughs> and she says, what are, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to get in touch with the Darcy within. <laughs> I'm feeling you want me to buy a new chainsaw. Is that right? And she says, no, no, no. I said, don't, don't, don't speak, don't speak, don't speak. You're just, Darcy, you're just too awesome to box in with mere words. I just, let me feel this. You want a jet ski. And you know, that, that is exactly how a lot of modern spirituality works. And that's why you buy those jet skis when you don't have the money to do so, okay? For relationship to work, for true spirituality to be present, God has to be allowed to speak to us from the outside and to affirm our intuitions and to disagree with our intuitions and to, and to tell us what's real and what's not. There have to be words. Real, objective, firm words. And part of the case that we want to make in this series is that if you long to hear the voice of God for the time being, he has told us where we can hear his voice. And it's in his written word. Now, uh, just a couple notes about this series and then we'll dive into the scripture reading. Uh, number one, this will not be an apologetic series in the traditional sense of that word. Okay? Apologetics is the study of the evidence for believing something. And so if you're here this morning and you have heard about fishy manuscripts and isn't there a gospel of Thomas the church doesn't want us to read and what about archaeology and what about the relationship between Bible and science and all these other things, those, if you've never looked into those things, it, it is a fascinating and really encouraging study and I would encourage you to get after it. Also, I would tell you there is a mountain of information on those things and it's easy to find. So we're going to put together a, a, a blog post on the FCC blog with some of our favorite resources if you want to dig into those questions. Uh, but second, we're, this is also not going to be a series about how to read the Bible. Okay, if you're here this morning and you're like, okay, great sermon, Prince, uh, but I have no idea where to begin. I've tried a few times and I got to Leviticus and it died. It just, the whole thing fell apart and I don't understand what it means and, and it's just complicated. Absolutely. We have a class here at Faith Community Church that we offer every semester called Grasping God's Word. And if you are looking to learn how to read the Bible, I cannot give you anything better than that. I really can't. So that begins on March 6th and I would encourage you, it's for everyone. If, you're ha if you happen to be in Christianity Explored right now, it's a phenomenal next step, but it's for anyone that wants to learn to read the Bible. If you went to a Bible college, they'd charge you $1,200 for this. And here at Faith Community Church, the low, I don't even know, are we charging any? It doesn't matter. Write the checks out to Tim Prince, $50, whatever you want, okay? I think it's free, but I don't know that for sure. Anyway, the issue in this series is simply going to be, what do we mean when we say, this is the word of the Lord? What is the relationship between Jesus 
and the Bible because ultimately our reasons for trusting the Bible as God's word, they don't ultimately come down to archaeology or manuscripts or science or anything else. If you have looked at the historical evidence and come to the place where you're convinced that Jesus has been raised from the dead, ultimately what we think about the Bible comes down to what he says about it. And so that's what this series is going to be about. He has said that this is the word of the Lord. That means the parts that you love and the parts that you hate and the parts that inspire you and the parts that confuse you, it is all the word of the Lord. And that's the case we want to make in this series. Does that make sense? Everybody got that? All right, let's look then at 2 Peter chapter 1, page 1018 again. 2 Peter is a really unique book because the theme of 2 Peter is the return of Jesus. Okay, so that makes it a great study because the return of Jesus is not something that we really have much empirical evidence to show you, okay? You're not going to get here sitting in your deer stand, okay? It comes down to, well, what has God said about the end of the world and the return of Jesus and things like that? And so in chapter 1, Peter's been writing about the virtues of godliness that should characterize the Christian life. And he says then in verse 12, everybody there? Verse 12, right where Paul picked up. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. That phrase there, the truth that you have, is a reference to a body of information about the Lord Jesus and what he had done and what it means that Jesus entrusted to the apostles to pass along to the church. Jude calls it the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Sometimes it's called the teaching. Sometimes it's just called the faith. Uh, in in uh, 2 Timothy, Paul calls it the good deposit. There are a few places where it's even called the tradition, although the Bible uses that word very differently than churches do today. In our scripture reading last week, if you were here last week, in the scripture reading, Paul said to Timothy, uh, what, the things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Do you remember that? Pass them along to others who will be able to teach them. So the truth that you have, what Peter's talking about, is this deposit of truth that Jesus entrusted to the apostles to be passed along to the church. And then he says in verse 13, I think it's right as long as I'm in the body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus made clear to me. So Paul's, or Peter, excuse me, Peter's writing from Rome, Nero's persecution is heating up, and Peter senses in his heart that his death is near. And so he writes, and he, he tells us why in verse 15, he says, I'm going to make every effort so that after my departure, you will be able at any time to recall this truth this deposit of information about the Lord Jesus. So that's why Peter's writing. And as you get toward the back of your Bible, you're going to hear more statements like this from the apostles. They're coming to the end of their lives, and they begin to talk this way. And what's interesting, everybody, what's interesting is that at no place either in the Bible or outside of the Bible do we have an example of an apostle saying, hey, I'm about to kick it, so pay attention to my successor. Or hey, I'm about to die, 
pay attention to my disciple so-and-so. Or, hey, look for another generation of prophets that, that's coming. Or, hey, look for another messenger. Nothing like, what do they say? Again and again and again, what do they say? Pay attention to what we wrote for you. Pay attention to the things that we taught you. Guard the good deposit, Timothy, and pass it along to others who will be able to teach it as well. Verse 15, I'm writing so when I'm gone, you will still have access to the word of the Lord. Did the people who wrote the New Testament know what they were doing? Have you ever pondered this question? Did the people who wrote these kinds of letters and the gospels and sermonettes and things, did they know they were writing the Bible? I think the answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. Take a look at the way Peter begins this letter. Chapter 1, verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. See, he's writing from his official position as an apostle and spokesperson for Jesus Christ. He did not write to his wife this way, okay? Sweetheart, it's me, the apostle. Blah, 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 blah. No. He knows what he's doing here. He's writing on behalf of the Lord Jesus. They knew what they were doing. And they knew that these letters and books would be binding on all the churches for all of time. They, they knew that, they expected that. There's even places in the New Testament where they command that these books be read in Christian gatherings alongside the Hebrew Scriptures. I think they absolutely knew what they were up to. We can see, actually, there's a, there's a clue even in this letter. Okay, so if you have your Bible open, just look at the very last paragraph of the letter, chapter 3, verse 16. Peter says, hey, he's talking about Paul's letters. He's, he, here's one apostle writing about another apostle. This is about 30 years after the resurrection. And here we have two apostles writing, and Peter says, hey, there's some things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand. Amen, right? <laughs> which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other, what? Scriptures. As they do the other scriptures. So here you have one apostle saying about another apostle's letters. First of all, he assumes everybody's reading them and he calls them scripture. Listen to this from Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus has just named the 12 apostles and then this is the authority that he gives them when he sends them out. Matthew 10, 6. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. And then listen to verse, this is verse 14. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Guys, that's the kind of authority that God gave to Old Testament prophets. If they don't listen to you, shake the dust off of your feet as a sign of judgment and keep moving. He's, then he says, Jesus says in verse 15, truly I say to you, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for, that, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. In other words, to reject the word of the apostles 
is to reject God. To reject the words of the apostles is to bring yourself under the same judgment as Sodom and Gomorrah and actually worse because we know more than Sodom and Gomorrah did. Luke chapter 10 verse 16, Jesus puts it this way. He says to the apostles, whoever listens to you listens to me and whoever rejects you rejects me. And that makes sense. That's how things work in a kingdom, right? When a king sends an ambassador or an emissary, that ambassador speaks for the king. And to reject the ambassador is to reject who? Not the ambassador. Who are you rejecting? The king. That's exactly how things work in a kingdom. And this is what we mean when we say that Jesus has chosen to identify himself with the word of the apostles. Whatever you do with the word of the apostles, you do to Jesus himself. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is called the Word. He is the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1 begins by saying, uh, oh, I'm going to find it or I'm going to miss this. Don't make stuff up in the pulpit. Okay. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke by the prophets, but in these days he's spoken to us by his son. Do you see how closely the word of God identifies Jesus with itself? And that's what we mean when we say, whatever you do with this, you do with him. You're doing it to him. If you need more examples, okay, there's another here, right in our scripture reading today, okay? I'll try to make this quick. But in the scripture reading today, verses 16 through 18, Peter recalls for his audience something uh, that we've come to call the transfiguration. You can read about this in Mark chapter 9 later today if you want. But what happened is one day, Jesus left the crowds at the foot of a mountain and he took some of his apostles up onto a mountain and there he was transfigured before them. It says that his clothes became radiant and white and Peter says here in, in the scripture reading today, they saw his majesty and a voice came from the majestic glory saying, this is my beloved son and so forth. Well, what's going on there? Well, in the Old Testament, Moses has an almost identical experience. He leaves the nation of Israel at the foot of the mountain. He goes up the mountain. He sees the glory of the Lord. He beholds his majesty and he hears the voice of God out of a cloud. And so Moses is the foundation of the Old Covenant, what we call the Old Testament, okay? Peter is just saying, our credentials are the same. We had the same experience, and we are the foundation of the New Covenant. So this is why Ephesians 2.20 says that the church, that's us, are established on the foundation of the prophets and apostles, Christ Jesus himself, being the cornerstone. Do you see how all that fits together? In Peter's mind, in the mind of the Lord Jesus. And there are so many examples like this where we see Jesus giving the apostles special access to God, special authority from God, and a special anointing by the Spirit of God. Why am I beating this to death today? Because people are always trying to drive a wedge between Jesus and the Bible. Constantly. 
constantly. They, they want to pit Jesus against Paul. They want to pit Jesus against Peter. They want to pit Jesus against the written word of God. And then they want to pit Peter and James against each other and Paul and James against each other and so on and so forth. And some of that is well-meaning, okay? How does James relate to Paul when they use some of the same words and say the opposite things? Those are legitimate questions, okay? And those are interesting questions. But there's a, um, there's a sense of like, you know, how could the written word ever convey all that Jesus is? Well, no one is saying the written word conveys all that Jesus is, but it does convey truly what Jesus is. Does that make sense? And sometimes, the, you know, this trying to drive the wedge between Jesus and the Bible is more sinister than that. People do not like fixed, objective words. It is much more fun to relate to a cosmic, mystical Jesus that just lives in here and talks to me like my grandma. And I just wait around for that, what's he saying to me today? That's more fun, more, in some, in some ways, feels more interesting, you know what I mean? It feels more dynamic. And we, you, you know, we want a, a real relationship with God. We want a living relationship with God. And so we go out in the woods and we sit alone. What's Jesus saying to me today? Well, how would you know it wasn't something you ate? And so you get just sometimes the craziest things about Jesus when what he has made, I think, pretty clear is that if you want to hear his voice, he has invested himself here for everyone to find who has ears to hear. We cannot be loyal to Jesus and constantly trying to rescue him from the Bible. This is the word of the Lord. And we don't get to relate to him apart from the Bible. Here's just one more kind of silly example because it's, it's kind of a gone thing now. But like 20 years ago, there was a movement mostly within progressive Christianity, but it's a little bit in evangelicalism as well, called Red Letter Christianity. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. But red Letter Christianity. So, so my, my Bible, like a lot of Bibles, highlights the, the words that Jesus spoke in red. And that's where this movement gets its name from. At its best, Red Letter Christianity is a naive attempt to make a complicated book more simple, okay? So the Bible can be a little complicated, it can be a little confusing. Let's just look at what Jesus said and forget the rest, okay? Well, at its worst, it's another ill-fated attempt to pit Jesus against the written word. It's, it's, you're trying to form a canon within the canon. And the, the reason it all fell apart is even the red letters are confusing, okay? Even the red letters say things modern people do not appreciate. And so then it became, well, which red letters? You know, you know what I mean? So on and so forth. They are all red letters. Every single book, every dot and iota is red. It's, that's what Jesus is teaching to the church. They're all red letters. Peter does not come to the end of his life and say, hey, I'm coming to the end. My death is near, so pay attention to those little flutters in your tummy. Get in touch with the cosmic Christ. Pay attention to his aura or something like that. What does he say? He says, I'm, I'm going to write this down so when I die, 
you still have the word of the Lord. They're all read, and for the time being, Jesus has chosen to invest himself and to identify himself with this. Here's scholar Timothy Ward. He puts it this way. He says, a book is not a person, and a person is not a book. The necessary safeguards to keeping them distinct are already there in this obvious fact. We emphatically do not worship the Bible. However, Scripture is related to the person of Jesus in such a fundamental way that it is appropriate to call Jesus the Word of God and to call Scripture the Word of God. And what that means, this is why this is such good news, is that when you go home this week and you sit down and you open your Bible, it's the Word of the Lord. That means the parts that you love and the parts that you hate and the parts that you are inspired by and the parts that confuse you, they're all read. It's all the word of the Lord. And that means that it comes with tremendous grace and tremendous patience for those who don't understand and steadfast love. So that when you read the Bible and you come to things that you don't understand, the Bible has actually shown us what to do. What did the disciples do when Jesus spoke and they didn't understand? What'd they do? They went to him and they said, we don't understand. That's what you do. Just as I've been preparing, you know, for this series, I've been reading Isaiah and there are things in there I don't understand. And so I say, Lord, I don't understand. Would you teach me? When you come to things that you don't like, things that rub you the wrong way, things that do not look good to you, what did the, what did the disciples do? Jesus came to his disciples. There's a story in John chapter 7-ish <laughs> in there. Jesus gives a really difficult teaching and it says after that many people wouldn't follow him anymore. And so he goes to the disciples and he says, are you going to leave too? And what did they say? They didn't say, no, we got it. We love that whole message you just gave about drinking your blood and eating your flesh. Got it. No, they said, where else can we go? You have the words of life. And that's what we do. If this is the word of the Lord, that means it comes with tremendous grace, tremendous patience, and tremendously steadfast love for those who want to know the Lord. That also means when we gather here as a congregation, so your job is to come ready to bring an offering of thanksgiving and praise to God. That's what, he, that's what he says. You're also bring the gifts that God has given you for building up the church, okay? But when we gather, then we open the word and Jesus speaks to his people. It's an awesome thought. Now, we began today talking about this universal human desire to hear the voice of God and to genuinely know his thoughts and to walk with him in relationship. And we said, you know, there are a lot of spiritualities out there that are going to tell you to find that voice by looking within. And we said, 
The reason that that's so appealing is because there is more than a grain of truth in that. Christianity is a religion of the spirit and the body, of the soul, and of the external word. Jesus said, I will be in you and you will be in me. Okay, so there's more than a grain of truth in all those things. But true spirituality requires real words that come from outside of us. So, uh, last question this morning, how does that actually work? And uh, the beginning of the answer is verses 19 and 20 and 21. I discerned by Thursday this week, we're not going to get to 20 and 21. There's just not enough time to teach everything that needs to be taught. So, I'm just going to give you the first part of the answer now in verse 19, and then you have to come back for the next week, okay? For 20 and 21, okay? Here's the first part of the answer in verse 19 about how this dynamic, real living relationship works where you have an, a fixed external word, but Jesus is at work in your spirit. Peter says in verse 16, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus. Okay, myths in this context are their stories about the gods and demigods and heroes of old like Hercules and Zeus and Athena, okay? That's how Greek-speaking people understood this word. A myth is not a, it's not a true story, but it's a helpful story because it uh, teaches us to be better people. I don't know how the stories of Zeus would get you there, but whatever, okay? They help us to be better people. And, and that's largely, you know, that's largely what progressive Christianity has done with the Bible. They've said these stories about Jesus rising from the dead and feeding 5,000 and walking on water, those aren't, tr those aren't real. Those things didn't really happen, but they're really helpful because they teach us about being loving and more inclusive and things like that. Well, Peter adamantly denies that. He says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. We were there. Like, we saw this stuff. And we're the ones who passed it on to you. Then he recalls the transfiguration. And in verse 19, he says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Isn't that an interesting phrase? We have the prophet. We went up on the mountain. Jesus like became white hot and there was Moses and there was Elijah and then there was this cloud and a voice spoke from heaven. And we were like, oh my goodness. And how, how, what's his report? So the prophets were right. That's what he says. Look, when the Old Testament prophets looked to the future, they said, a time is coming when God is going to come and be king. That's the promise of the Old Testament. Someday, God is going to come and he's going to be king and all the world is going to be put right. There's going to be a resurrection from the dead. That's Ezekiel 37. There's going to be a judgment of the righteous and unrighteous, Joel chapter 3. Creation itself will be remade or radically renewed in some way, Isaiah 66. Death itself will be destroyed. Peace and justice will reign forever when God is king. Now, in the, in the, in the Old Testament prophets, it's not always clear if that coming king is God himself, or if it's a son of David, or if it's one like the son of man, or if it's a suffering servant. I mean, it's confusing, right? Well, in Peter's day, some so-called Christian teachers were saying, you know, the return of Jesus, it's not a real thing. He's not really coming back. This is a story to help you live better. And Peter's response is, we saw him glow. 
<laughs> we were with him on the mountain and everything came together. This is the God King, Son of Man, Son of David, suffering the, the whole package. He's all there. We know he's coming back because the prophets said so. But what the way that he says it is, this amazing experience on the mountain was a confirmation. In other words, if all we'd had was the Bible, we'd have still gotten there. Actually, they were there. Before the transfiguration, the apostles were already saying to each other, this is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the one that we've been waiting for. They'd already gotten there. This amazing experience was just a confirmation. And that is a great insight into what we are to do with those little quivers in the liver, you know, and those intuitions and the signs and portents that we see all over the place. And, our, and, and, you know, supernatural experiences. I'm not denying in any way that people have visions, that they make, you know, their amazing claims about amazing spiritual experiences. But, but Galatians chapter 1 verse 8 says, if even an apostle or an angel from heaven came to you preaching a gospel other than the one handed down to you, let him be damned. Even if an, angel from if an angel from heaven appears in your bedroom this week and gives you a message and it doesn't align with scripture, tell him off. Say, please get out of my room. <laughs> the application of the scripture reading today is not go up a mountain Go find a mountain, get up there, get out in your deer stand, do whatever it is. Get someplace, get the vibes going, get yourself in an altered state of consciousness, channel that inner Jesus or whatever it is. That is not the application. The application is, so pay attention to the scripture. That's what he says. Verse 19, the prophetic word is more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention. It's not seek out some transcendental experiences. If you knew your Bible, Peter says, you would already know Jesus is returning. Because, it, I mean, that goes all the way back to Genesis. If we had, so we just finished like, you know, 700 years in, in Joseph's story, right? And in that time, we skipped some scripture. One of the scriptures we skipped, there's a place where Jacob says about Judah, a king is gonna come and rule the world. So this, if you just... I'm not going to beat this to death anymore. You know what I'm saying, okay? If you just, if you want to know what God says, Peter's saying, immerse yourself in the book. If you want that deep, abiding sense of God's presence that he's with you, that he's speaking to you, pay attention to the word. And then he calls it, it's a light. It's like a lamp shining in the darkness. It'll tell you the truth. It will lead you on the right path. And then last thing, this is just the end of verse 19. He says, and I want you to do this. I want you to immerse yourself in this book until, look, what's it say? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is another Old Testament reference to the return of Jesus. It's Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The point is just that when the sun comes up, you don't need the lamp anymore. Does that make sense? When the sun rises, you don't need a lamp. So if you're here and you struggle with the idea of relating to God forever through words, 
printed on a page or spoken by a friend or whatever. The message of the Bible itself is that a time is coming when the the sun himself will rise and you won't need the book. For the moment, we walk in the light of scripture, but when he comes, we won't have to have it anymore. There, there is never going to be a time when the Bible is irrelevant or obsolete or dishonored. I'm just saying, when you're separated from a loved one by great distance, you treasure their letters, don't you? You treasure their... Darcy and I dated from a long way away from each other, and I had this stack of cards and letters and things that she wrote me. Oh, so sappy. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know where they are anymore. <laughs> Why is that? Because she's here. If you've ever lost a loved one, then you know how everything they ever touched, everything they ever made. We have Christmas ornaments from Benjamin that are garbage and more precious to us than silver and gold now. Why? Because he's not here. It's all that we have. But when we see him again, I will lose the ornaments. (laughs) For the time being, Jesus has said, if you want to hear from me, here are my letters from a distant country. Listen to them. The Bible is a gift to bring you home, to get you home. Paul says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but one day, face to face, now I know in part one day, I will know fully, even as I'm fully known. The Bible is adamantly not God's search for man. The Bible is his gift to you and to me. Letters from a distant country to to bring you home. Now we're going to talk more next week about the relationship between the written word and those inner intuitions and how does the written word speak into our spirits, but that's all that we have time for today. Let me, let me just pray uh, for you. Worship team, you can come on up and we'll, we'll close. My Father in heaven, I thank you for the gift of your word that it does not fail or falter. God, I ask that you would make it precious to us in the coming week. Father, I ask for those who have been irritated by the Bible, confused by the Bible, they've come to it, you know, several times and it hasn't made sense. Would you just meet them again? Would you just increase their confidence that you will speak, that you are speaking? God, make us people who love your word. We ask in Jesus' name.